Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login <laughs> for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. Yes, no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and uh, so excited with me, the incredible, the wonderful, the delightful Ellen Adair. Ellen, welcome. Yay. Thank you for having me, Joe. Oh, I'm so excited. So excited to have you here. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Happy Thanksgiving to you. It's really uh, my favorite holiday. Is it? It's, it's a, it is a great holiday. You know, it's funny because it is Mike uh, Shore's least favorite holiday. He spends... I think he spent last year 37% of his speaking time on the podcast all year, not not one, all year, 37% of his time complaining about how much he hates uh, Thanksgiving. Really you know, weird. I understand why a lot of people don't like Thanksgiving if you're perhaps forced to do things with people that you don't necessarily agree with. Yeah, um, but, that's, but that's not really a benefacet of my Thanksgiving experience or my experience with most of my family. So Yeah, I that's not the reason he complains. He, he has, it's a long list. He hates turkey, thinks that's the worst. He hates cranberries. He thinks they're the worst. He thinks stuffing is the worst. Oh, he, stuffing is the best. He just thinks the whole holiday is is disastrously bad. He thinks it's too close to Christmas. It's pointless. I mean, it's. I it, we'll we'll get him uh, later on to 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 go on his Thanksgiving rant. He'll he'll do it for no pro, no cost at all. Literally, all you have to say is, "Hey, Mike, how you feel about Thanksgiving?" And then he'll he'll go into his hour long bit on how much he hates Thanksgiving. So, what but, I like about it, just briefly. If there's been all of this time of Michael Shore bad mouthing Thanksgiving, what I love about it, it's just a day. It's not. It's not a season. You don't have to do like you know. But isn't it six though, though? I weeks mean, it, of it preparation has... for Thanksgiving? It's True. just a couple of days, and then yeah, you just sit around and you eat and you drink, and that's it. Like it's true. And it's be true. grateful. Like end of responsibilities. I so, guess so, but here's the thing. It leads directly into Black Friday, which we all can agree is the worst. Oh, it, although, yes, it is the worst. Although that athletic deal that I did the advertisement for it's is a Black good. Friday Black Friday deal. Do oh, a dollar a month. You can't you can't beat that. No. A dollar a month. Come on. There's literally nothing you can buy for a dollar a month. You can't. If you have $1 in your wallet, where, where are you even going? Nowhere. You're just, you're going to try to make it into quarters and then you can buy four really hard gumballs at the 
grocery store. That's do it. they That's still the do thing. those those grocery store? They gumballs? do because um, <laughs> my husband loves them. <laughs> that you know, it's so amazing. Every time we talk about your delightful husband, Eric. Uh, I I lose a little respect for him. Just a little. Not, you know, my respect is so high for him that he has a lot that he can lose, but the gumballs thing isn't helping him. All right. I we're going to talk some baseball. We're going to talk Kim Ng because you and I have not had a chance to talk Kim Ng. I know you're yes. very excited about this. Mike and I did a whole podcast on it last week. We loved it, but we'd like to get your perspective on Kim Ng and we'll talk maybe some some baseball uh, free agency, and uh, we'll, we'll just, you know what, we'll, wherever it goes, it goes. But before we do that, I have a story to tell you, and it is a story that literally happened half an hour before this podcast uh, started. Um, I I got a sales call. And, you know, sales calls, I'm really good normally about just hanging up on sales calls. Um, but I get this call, and it was a California number, and I pick it up, and, and the person says, Yes, I, I'm trying to reach Joey Posnanski, which, you know, that alone is a bad start. It's a bad, it's a bad thing. And I said, uh, Joe, and she goes, yes, yes, you are the author of The Soul of Baseball, correct? Hmm. Which is a very weird thing to hear from a sales call. You are the author of, of The Soul of Baseball. Yeah. And I thought, well, where is this going? Where is this going to go? And I said, yes, I am. And she said, well... I am calling you from Authors Press something or other, which sounded really, okay. really legitimate. And Authors Press, uh, apparently, according to this woman, uh, wanted me to know, Joey, that uh, Authors Press has found that uh, they have a lot of faith in the book, The Soul of Baseball, that they have done a lot of market research about the book, The Soul of Baseball, and found that people are giving it many positive reviews. And and <laughs> they are very excited about the sales potential of uh, The Soul of Baseball, which I should say at this point, I wrote The Soul of Baseball um, in 2006. So, so the book is 13. It came out in 07. So it's more than 13 years. It's almost 14 years old now. And, uh, you know, it's always delightful, of course, to hear people bring it up in, in this setting. And, and so I just listened because I felt like there's, there's a chance to really bring this book in. Yeah. And she then said that uh, Authors Press, seeing so much potential in my book, Joey, that they um, would like uh, to work with their partner, the New York Times, in order <sighs> to... Uh, to get this book out to to people so that people might buy this book. This is Obviously, big. The New York Times. And she said, and this is not, uh, I am not making this up. She said, have you heard of the New York Times? And I said, <laughs> yes. And she said, it is a company that began in 1851. And for more than 150 years, they have been covering many of the world's biggest events with many reporters and editors. And I thought, that's very interesting. Yeah. You never and, know when you're going to learn something from a phone call. But it's more. It's more. Because the New York Times, apparently, in addition to covering many world events with reporters and editors, also has a list of the best-selling books that they publish every week, a best-sellers list, if you will, which, of course, I found to be very intriguing. 
And she said that this, this bestsellers list uh, is, is very important when it comes to selling books. Do you know why, Joey, it is so important to this for, to be on this bestsellers list? And I did not know why. This is very interesting to me. And she said it is the it is very important because people will see books on this bestseller list and they will think, well, other people are buying this book. I want to buy it also. I mean, what a fascinating window into human psychology. <laughs> it's so it is so true. You know, it feels true in addition to like being. True. And I mean, like uh, about books, certainly more so than anything else. <laughs> You know, if you're if you're you know what? I mean, I am not buying a book unless I know other people. Are buying <laughs> it. I mean, let's Seriously. be honest. Come yeah. on. So yeah. so I was I did not say a word. By the way, this she did. I would say 10 minutes soliloquy. I literally did not interrupt one time. I just was so fascinated by where this was going. So she at this point had sold me, obviously, you want to get on this list if you can. I mean, why wouldn't you, right? I mean, this is this is if other people are going to see your book on there, they might buy your book. I think that that makes perfect sense to me. So, uh, so I just waited to see where this was leading, and it turns out it was leading to this company sees so much potential in my book, The Soul of Baseball, that I wrote 14 years ago. That Joey, what we want to do is we want to advertise your book in the New York Times Book of Review, which I think is, I mean... It's genius. It's not, it doesn't get you on the list, but it's like one step away. Yeah, people just your, see it and and it's it's kind of adjacent to the books that other people are reading. The, they, and so they're not going to remember later, was that an ad or was that in the thing that I was reading? They're just going to remember, oh yeah, I saw that. That's 100% right. They yeah. might think by mistake it's on the list. Plus... More people that see that, the better chance you have of getting on the list, right? Right. Uh, yep. Ah, uh, smart. So she wanted me to know that uh, that that they wanted to do this advertising. Dude, I want to be in the New York Times. She asked me, and of course I said yes. Obviously, I want to be in the New York Times. And she said, normally it'll they'll charge you five thousand dollars to advertise in the New York Times, which. Seems I'm laughing, but high. like that, I, as far as I know, that could be the amount. Yeah, I did. It, it seemed it seemed very reasonable to me, but also expensive. I mean, look, I'm not made of money here, you know, and she wanted me to know that she was aware of that. She said, yes, I understand this is a big investment, but if you want your book, The Soul of Baseball to do well, Joey, you need to invest in yourself, which is such good advice if you think about it invest in who you are. So I was like, wow, okay. I didn't say anything because she was still talking because it turns out that this is so amazing. The people at Authors Press, the CEO of Authors Press, unnamed, mm -hmm. um, is so bullish about the potential of The Soul of Baseball, the book I wrote 14 years ago, that he will personally personally, well, I guess out of out of funds from the company, pay $1,500 of that $5,000. <gasps> wow. I mean, I mean, come on. He doesn't even know me. He yep. doesn't even know well, me. Well, but he does through your prose, Joe. That is true. And and also the many, many positive reviews that people have given him. Also that, yes. So for $3,500, which admittedly a lot of money, but 
This is the New York Times, and you have to invest in yourself. So uh, that is, you know, so I'm as, as I as I've told people, I'm weighing my options. Obviously, mm-hmm. this is very exciting, uh, but I wanted you to know because I don't know if you've ever gotten, you know, a call like that. I mean, this is. This is, I'm not going to say it's a once in a lifetime opportunity because she said that they have chosen 16 books uh, that, that they see this kind of potential in. So it's not, it's like a, it's like a 16 in a lifetime. I mean, it's, it's, it's still incredibly rare and it's clear that their love of this book and of me is, is, is real. Uh, but it's not, I'm not the only one, right? Well, it's not 16 in a lifetime. It's just in 16 people's different lives, really. Yes, that's right. And that's I mean, right. I, look, this is obviously legit. And the way <laughs> well, that sure. I can, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you know that already, but I'm just letting you know, like they haven't called me. So, Sheesh. and I, I mean, I think it just could be from the, from the paucity of any kind of review for my book, Curtain Speech, um, <laughs> positive or negative. Uh, so, I mean, I'm just saying like, I haven't gotten a call like this. So that just, not yet. You know, it, no, no, but I mean, well, no, no, now that I, I turned it down, I think you're next in line. Well, I haven't turned it down officially, <laughs> but once I do turn it down, I think I'm going to, I'm leaning toward turning it down. I'm not, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil this for people, but I'm leaning against just, just because, look, it, it sounds like a great deal mm-hmm. uh, for my book that I wrote 16 years ago. But uh, $3,500 is a lot of money. I mean, is, yeah, you know, especially, especially you know, these especially days. Especially these days. Yeah, that's, yep. that's just that's just a lot of money. So um, I'll I'm think really, about it. I'll think about it. I'm really glad that you brought this up because I have I had it had slipped my mind that I keep on I think since our Alan Ellen podcast I've yes. been receiving email I think for Alan um <laughs> telling me about all kinds of opportunities like online wow. degrees um improved member benefits prepared for Alan really? yes yes so I mean what I should do and I was meaning to just ask you about this but I should just probably forward these individually well, to Alan right absolutely yeah I, yeah I, I think you know in fact if I could have I would have actually going to forward this call to Alan we need to forward all terrible <laughs> things to Alan uh it just that's that's well, but this of... one says compensation may be available for Alan I mean ah, he probably wants true. to know about that that's benefits true. that pay comma Alan <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely, by the way, so many people confuse you guys now. I mean, that's, you know, the Ellen Allen show. Twinsies. You guys are twinsies. There is there is no question about it. All right, there was our uh, there was our little lean in. It's you know it's like an advertisement for Authors Press. I hope they're they're pleased uh, with with the ad that I just gave them. Maybe they'll knock some more dollars off that price. Ooh, how low would they have to go? Do you think? For me to, for <laughs> I mean, me to that's that's really that's for you to answer. I, I, well, I have to. I mean, you know, look, I got to look very closely at our financial statements, uh, but I wonder how low, like. I don't know. I it's you know it's 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 a puzzle. I look. I, I just I just appreciated the personal touch, you mm-hmm. know, of calling me Joey because nobody really has called me that since I was a kid, and it's clear that that they had done that research. They they wanted this to go beyond a professional relationship right up at the top. They wanted to talk to me like I was that eight year old kid. That you know they wanted. That's what they wanted. So. And you immediately felt like a member of their family. I, 
we're going to Thanksgiving together. I, we're not supposed to, you know. I mean, the, the CDC hasn't, uh, but I mean, we when you when you make friends quickly, you know, you you, you don't always sometimes, you, you you react. Uh, you you can be rash. I mean, sometimes there's that just that undeniable spark, you know. <laughs> Joey. All right, so uh, let's talk about some baseball. Since uh, well, why not? We're here. We might as well. What's what's what, why wouldn't we? All right, so Kimming, you know, obviously we did a whole uh, podcast about how excited and thrilled we are about Kimming, but you know, I don't know how obvious this is. Um, we're not women, and and you know, we 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 were speaking, of course, from our own uh, perspective of how joyous and wonderful it is, but. As a woman in baseball, in around baseball, obviously that's that is your your side gig, but still you are very much a baseball person. What does this mean to you to have somebody like Kim Ng uh, finally? I mean, look, it took too long, but it, we, you know, and and I'll add this part because we were talking about this uh, last week. Um, it took too long, and yet it felt sudden because nobody had really been talking about it Mm -hmm. before it happened, you know? So it was kind of this weird combination of like, you look at her career and you're like, well, how did this not happen 10 years ago? But then, you know, a lot of times these sorts of sort of groundbreaking things happen. And, you know, you have like several weeks notice, you know, this team is probably going to do this and break uh, barriers and do this and this and this. And this really just kind of happened, right? It was just like an instant thing. So fill us in on your thoughts about the whole Kimming experience. Yeah, well, I have many thoughts um, and many wonderful, gushy, positive emotions about it. But I mean, I guess... I feel like as a person, I'm just happy about right. it. And I don't feel like I necessarily need to be more happy about it than any man who is happy about it. I of don't know. Maybe not. that's just like me and where I am on the gender identity spectrum. But I just feel so thrilled to know that something is possible is very different from seeing that it actually happened. Yeah. You know, obviously, we knew that like a woman could be a general manager ever since the onus was kind of taken away that that this person who is going to be a general manager has to have played the game at a high level. Right. And so as soon as the like reputedly leveling effect of analytics had worked their way through the game, well, then, like, why shouldn't a woman who is smart and, you know, good at analysis and so on also have a shot at that job? So knowing that it is possible in theory and then actually witnessing it are very, very different. And it is, it was a glorious day, uh, honestly. Yeah. And I think that obviously some of it is frustrating, because she's actually so overqualified, right. you know, that she was like the youngest person to ever present an arbitration case when she was working for the White Sox. And then she, when she was the assistant general manager for the Yankees, she was the youngest assistant general manager at that time. So then for it to take so long for her was very 
frustrating, you know? So in some ways it's, you know, I'm sort of reminded, and I think you're right, that it came out of nowhere because we didn't necessarily hear that the Marlins were seriously considering her. The, right. Those kinds of headlines did not flash across our telephones. However, it feels sort of like when an actor is deemed to be an overnight success, and then that person is like, well, yeah, but I've actually been working at this <laughs> career for like 20 years. You right. just didn't know all those things that I was doing or care about them. And so the fact that she had actually interviewed for general manager positions so many times is frustrating, I guess, that it, that it took this long. And particularly for me, since I know she interviewed with the Phillies in 2015, and I'm yeah. like, we could have had Kimming this right. whole time instead of stupid Matt Klintak. Ah, <laughs> oh, it really. Oh God. That's because, his full name, by the way, stupid Matt Klintak. Yes, that's just, yes, exactly. Just... He just he goes by his middle name, and like, who can blame him? Honestly, <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Klintak. What were you thinking? They were so, weird. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> clearly. Anyway, um, yeah, and and it's obviously that's that's in particular frustrating for me because, and I don't I don't want to drag this down, but that it's that it's the Marlins um, who were just particularly irksome to me this oh, sure. year. Uh, and, and I mean, honestly, have been particularly irksome to the Phillies. They have owned the Phillies for a number of years, even when their sort of overall winning percentage was like 400. They did that on the backs of having, you know, a 768 winning percentage versus the Phillies particularly. Right. So, you know, there, there are any number of reasons like breaking Reese Hoskins and now he's got to have Tommy John surgery or, you know, voting to still play the Phillies even when they knew that there was a pandemic, which was not totally their fault. Like they needed more oversight from Major League Baseball at the same time. Still wasn't you, great. It, it was, sorry? Still wasn't great. Still wasn't great. You no, know what I mean? Really I was wasn't. like, no. these days, you know, there may not be a law that's like, don't cough in somebody else's steak. But, like, there's a global pandemic, and so if I were to go over to somebody eating outside and cough in their steak, there might not be a law against it, but, like, it's still not a great thing to do. <laughs> so, yeah, so I was kind of low on the Marlins. Also, the whole, like, JT Romero, Sisto Sanchez thing is quite, quite heartbreaking. And now I'm like, do I, do I have to like the Marlins now? Well... Well, this leads directly into and one of the uh, big topics of last week, uh, Derek Mike, Jeter, which is Derek Jeter. But before oh, we get God. to that, I do want to I do want to say, um, you know, one of the things you know, you and I have talked about this on actually more than one occasion. I probably have talked about this on the podcast and in 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 real life, you know, which is everything but this podcast. Um, <laughs> but you know, there's something that I think is so important. In, in sports in general and and particularly in baseball which you know for is, is fighting so many different issues and and you know really sort of swimming against the tide and in time you know I mean it's 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 a sport that is is considered older and slower and you know all those things that we know um and that is I think it's so important for people to see themselves in the game. Uh, mm -hmm. This is something we've talked about with African-American athletes uh, as, as those numbers have dwindled. 
it is something that is what thoroughly sparked the extraordinary, you know, uh, talent uh, run uh, of the Dominican Republic is that, you know, players, kids there saw themselves, you know, when Juan Marichal came over, they saw themselves in, in Major League Baseball and they saw a life that, that was very different than the life that, uh, that they would have to lead otherwise. I mean, not, you know, not everybody, of course, but I mean, uh, uh, that is, that is the story. Uh, when I told my daughters, you know, that that Kimming was the new GM. I mean, they really lit up. I mean, they lit up. And I, I you know, I, I I try to think about this all the time. Obviously, being the father of daughters, but in general, I'm trying to think about this all the time about how other people view the game. You know, how they see it. Mm-hmm. And you know, I remember having this moment when the girls were very very young, where we were watching. It might have been the the women's uh soccer uh US women's soccer team it might have been a world cup year or it might have been I, I seem to think of it as being some sort of track and field but they were mesmerized by the fact that there were women playing sports on television they were just mesmerized by it mm-hmm. and i i remember thinking like well this is you know it's, i mean it, it's cool but i mean it's not that big a deal and and it really occurred to me that it might have been the very first time they'd seen it, you know that 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 even though sports might be on television fairly often in our house, it's always men and it's always you know it's it's like this it's a it's a very singular picture all the time and suddenly they they were watching women and and uh, you know and I'm sure there had been women's tennis on television women's golf whatever but this this really struck them and I think. That is a breakthrough that, you know, I just, I just can't get enough joy out of that. I, this thing is, I agree with everything that you said. It took way too long and it's kind of depressing the way it, it finally needed to happen. And, and, and we'll talk about Jeter in a second, (laughs) but, but I mean, this is, I, I just think this is such, this is, it's, it's, as I, as we talked about, it's more than 50% of the population finally seeing themselves in baseball in a real way. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean, representation really matters. It does. It really does. And so given that it's a sport where there's not a sort of a at least well well publicized, even like moderately respected women's counterpart the way that there is for basketball or right. soccer now, makes yeah. it yeah makes it even more significant and i was definitely like is this the best day of 2020 like <laughs> <laughs> i mean i i don't think that it is cuz there've been some other pretty good days but like it that is how happy it made me yeah. to see this and yes it's like one individual team's decision so it's not like you can say, you know, good for all of Major League Baseball for doing this. But on the other hand, as somebody who loves baseball so much and and who frets about, you know, 
some baseball's perhaps increasing lack of relevance to people who don't love baseball the way that I do, it made me really proud of baseball yeah. to at least be the first of men's professional sports in North America to have a female general manager. I was like, I would not have guessed that it was going to be baseball, nope. but I'm really glad that it is. And it feels sort of like, again, this is just one organization, but like it sort of feels like a repudiation of the Brandon Taubman incident, you know, it sort of feels like it's it's saying just the opposite that that women's yeah. opinions are are valued and that they are seen as capable and that they can know something about this sport even if they didn't play it at a high level so, is really wonderful. It's exactly right, and I I mean it feels to me like the beginning of something rather than the end of something. That's that's another element of this thing that I think is really is really great. It doesn't feel like a one-off. It doesn't feel like, uh, you know, like some sort of, I mean, token type of thing. It doesn't feel that way at all. It feels like we're going to have another women's general manager fairly soon, you know? I mean, it feels like, hey, if you're a woman who loves baseball, who, who, who you know, thrives in, in this world, and there are so many, you know, I, one of the cool things that I've been able to do is, is I've gone to various, you know, analytics conferences, uh, in, in different places. And what you see there is you see lots and lots of, you know, college age kids or just out of college kids. They're not kids, but they are to old people like me. And, and they're there to, to network. They're there to meet, you know, some of the the panelists that that can help them, they they come up to me and ask me, and I'm like, "You're wrong person. You need to. I I I cannot I cannot help you at all." But these people can, you know, and and there are a lot of young women, lots and lots of young women who are among that group, and I just think this is such a, it's just such a moment in in where the game can go, you know, and I I just you know I think it's it is great for the game. Uh, but it really is the work of one team and the work in large part of one man named Derek Jeter, who you have joined Mike and I on this podcast uh, in in our, our loathing of Derek Jeter. And now what? What are we supposed to do? You can't. How can you loathe Derek Jeter now? It's over. It's over. The Derek, the, the Derek Jeter... Making fun of Derek Jeter and ripping Derek Jeter. I mean, look, maybe maybe we'll get to a point where we can come back to it. But now, how can you do that? I mean, the, the, the guy, you know, I, I I said on this on this podcast that a, a tweet went out. I think the Marlins were the first ones to put out the tweet, and it was one of those how it started, how it how it is now. You know, the mm -hmm, split screen mm -hmm. tweets. And the first tweet was like of a young Kimming and a young Derek Jeter with the Yankees. Uh, you know, kind of posing for the camera. And the second one is them hugging after after he, you know, hired her or, you know, was one of the key figures in hiring her. And I'm like, Derek Jeter is going to bring me to tears. Derek Jeter. Yeah. Yeah. What do we do? Alan, I, what do we I, do? I don't know. It is a dark night of the soul. <laughs> but I, I don't, I just can't hate Derek Jeter right now. I don't know if it's just sort of like a detente, you know, it's sort yeah. of like a, a ceasefire. So we could come back to it. Yeah. We the, could yeah. Come that back. possibly, yeah. you know, like yeah. we could even, we could, we could sign a treaty 
you know, but you, you just, you never, you never really know if he might do something that, that we feel is worthy of he us. Fi- he fires her too quickly. Yes. Or something. It, yes. Then, I mean, then he's, then he's even more loathsome. Then yeah. we're not going to, it's not going to happen. Well, I do remember reading and I, and I'm, unfortunately, I don't remember the name of the person who was responsible for not hiring her when she first interviewed with the Dodgers, but the reason that he decided not to hire her was because he didn't want to be the first person to fire a woman. Oh, wow. And I was like, well, But you know what? Dumb. That's, that's, but you, you know, that. I mean, it sounds good, but that's a cop out. That I don't even think it sounds good. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound good, actually. It doesn't, it sounded good in his head when he thought of it. Yeah. When he thought yeah. to say yep. it. Yeah. Now that's, that's brutal. So that's it. So we're the Derek Jeter fan club now. That's it. No, 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 no. I, I have to believe that, that this is at least an uneasy piece. Do you know what I mean? Like we may not be firing our weapons and we might even like, you know, lift our hats at him when we see him on the metaphorical street no, of this we're, land we're where full we're fighting trading partners now. No, we're full trading partners now. This well, is speak for this, yourself. I, uh, how are you, uh, what are you going to say? What are you going to do? Like maybe behind closed doors when nobody's watching, you can like make a little shot, take a little shot at how bad his defense was, but you can't do it in public now. I mean, you, you don't want to be that person. I mean, I just, he's... I'll just say that the web of our life is a mingled yarn, good and ill together. Do you know what I mean? Like there can be good things and bad things about Derek Jeter that I accept now that there are some good things like, you know, our, our was... faults would be proud if our, you know, et cetera. <laughs> it would be so much more fun if we could just go back to the days where he was just 100% loathsome. I, yeah, like I was, mean, you know. on the other hand, I don't want to undo this, you know, but it would be great if it had been somebody else. Although, <laughs> although, sort of for the narrative's sake, I do appreciate the fact that I think for so long people were were kind of like, well, it would be it would be players who really wouldn't respect a woman who hadn't played the game. Right, that's true. That's and true. in fact, then it ended up being an ex-player to be the person to finally hire a woman instead of all just this sort of, you know, quant heads or owners <laughs> just thinking that they want to do something new, but really just looking for kind of the next Ivy League version of Theo Epstein. Yes, which is so, all anybody's doing. Yes, yes. Well, it's... it's um... But to, to your point, like, yes, there needs to be... There needs to be more than one. And I love your optimism that like, yes, now we are on the brink of also the second one. I would love that. I feel like that is necessary. You know, as much as I said, I'm proud of baseball and I am. I am proud that it was baseball to do this at the very least. Like, I don't feel like we can do any amount of sort of resting on our laurels and patting ourselves on our backs until... Yes, there are there are more women in these very senior roles. Yeah, no, we talked about this. I mean, you know, there there was I, I again. I still don't remember who it was. One of the first uh, black managers, whether it was Frank Robinson or, or 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 somebody else, Don Baylor or somebody else, said that we'll know there's real progress when a black manager gets fired and then gets rehired. Like that, you know, that's that's when you you know when yes. when basically you just keep getting opportunities is is when you know there's real progress so yes i mean this is this is a wonderful breakthrough and and you know and it's and it's wonderful you know it really is sort of that that cliche 
that you have to be twice as good. I mean, mm-hmm. it, there's there is there is literally no argument against Kimming. Like that's yes. like that's the the best part of this whole thing. Like there's nobody out there who is who with any legitimacy who is saying, oh, you know, they 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 wanted to be the first to hire a woman or this that and the other. I mean, she's she's so wildly overqualified for the job and should have gotten it so long ago that 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 there's no real question there. But I, you know, I really, I don't know, but I really do feel like, like I say, it's more of a beginning than, than, uh, than a stopping point. I, it feels to me like she's going to do well there. Uh, whatever that means for the Marlins. I mean, that's, is, is one of the other things we talked about on the podcast last week is, you know, the odds are against her. I mean, they always are. They're always a game. You, as a Phillies fan, you know that better I than do. anybody. You I know do the odds. That. The odds are always against you when you're hired as a GM, especially for a struggling team, uh, which is basically the only kind of team that ever hires a GM. Basically, for the most part, uh, the odds are against you. The Marlins are a particular challenge because they have no money uh, or are unwilling to spend any money. Uh, they've got a, a very sort of odd fan base, if you want to call it that. That's a that's a very very challenging job, but there's every reason to believe that she's going to attack it in the in in this incredibly smart and 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 uh, strong way. And you know there are there are other women uh, in in management positions now in baseball, and more to come unquestionably. And I just believe that this is this is going to lead to. I, you know, again, maybe it's optimistic, but I, I think it's going to lead to uh, there being more women GMs in the very near future. That's that's what I really believe. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, I obviously I'm jealous of the Marlins because they have hired the first female general manager, but mostly I'm jealous of them because they hired Kim Ng and she right. is like that's the right. most ridiculously overqualified person <laughs> out there that everybody else was just passing up because they didn't want to be the first person to fire a, a female general manager. So yes, I'm like more jealous that they got that person and that like we should have gotten that person uh, than I than I am any any amount of sort of like the groundbreakingness of it. Although that is also wonderful, you know. I was watching, and I wish I could remember who the interview was with, but there was a sort of an old interview with Kim Ang where she was kind of talking about her career in the past tense, like, oh, I didn't ever get to be general manager, but I was pretty happy with what I got to do, and it's just sort of heartbreaking in retrospect but also like you're safe to have it break your heart in retrospect because you know the end of the story and the end of the story is really good but yeah it's like it's so sad that for so much of her career she was made to feel like she wasn't going to ever get that choice right to the point where she went to work in the major league baseball offices right i mean you know that you kind of felt like she'd given up on on becoming a gm you know at that point and uh so yeah so that's another reason why this is great while the rest of it was was not so great so that leads to uh of course what it leads to is your phillies and uh and that gm situation (sighs) How, how you feeling about that not not super great I so don't... you, you know that I have, uh, I, I, I never do this cause I, you know, I know a lot of people <laughs> in the game and, and, and feel like a lot of people are, uh, you know, qualified for jobs, but I wouldn't know who else is out there and whatever. But I have thought for 
years, it's a few years now, and, and feel now that the perfect guy to be general manager of the Phillies is uh, J.J. Piccolo, the assistant general manager uh, of the Kansas City Royals. He might even be general manager now. I don't remember if uh, if Dayton Moore uh, moved up to president. I know there was talk of them doing that. Anyway, uh, Philly guy, right? He grew up right mm. around Philadelphia. He's uh, he's he's to me, he's you know perfectly suited for a job like that because he is a uh, uh, scouting and development guy. Uh, he's been a scouting director. He's been uh, head of player development. Uh, he was, you know, a big, big part of the Royals uh, breaking all possible odds and, and going to back-to-back World Series. Uh, just, you know, and, and, and you know, look, they've fallen off some. So, I mean, his, his stock isn't as high as it was probably the first time around. But he seems like the perfect guy. But... Not an Ivy League guy and not a guy that you would know. I mean, I'm sure he is very involved in analytics, but he's not a guy that you would say is like an analytically driven guy. I don't know if a guy like that can get hired anymore. What do you think? Yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, what I know about what the what the Phillies organization says that they want. Um, although the thing I was going to say before is that I just I sort of don't trust the Phillies organization <laughs> not to lose their mittens unless it's attached to their coat with like a stretchy thing that goes. What are all those things called? It. What are those things called? The little clippies and the stretchy. What are those called? <sighs> They must have it, I don't know. It's an elastic band. No, no, but they have like the little clips on the end, right? That you can attach to both your. I don't know. When your... I was a child, they were just um, safety pins. So perhaps there's <laughs> perhaps there's like a, a real kind of marketed version of that thing, and my mom just made the homemade version of it. Um, but yes, so I know that what they are looking for is. Somebody who has a like a proven track record of right. winning right. and brings immediate cachet. So they are looking for Ugh, the name. like Joe Girardi equivalent right. of uh, yes of a general manager. And when I was on MLB Network last week, it just happened to be the day that Theo Epstein stepped down. Right. And so it was it was funny to me because I don't think that Theo Epstein is going to take a job with the Phillies. But given that the Phillies, I feel like, had already been, like, making an overture to him in their press conference, that's how it read, you know, that it was sort of like, it was a little song, it was a little coded message, a love letter designed specifically for Theo Epstein, being like, hey, Theo, you know, do you like us? Circle one, (laughs) yes, no, or maybe. But you know that in this analogy, the Phillies are definitely like a band geek with braces, and Theo Epstein is the most beautiful cheerleader in the school. And so, like, the Phillies don't stand a chance. It's nice of them to try to pass that message over to Theo, but... It works in movies. The band geek gets gets the gets the football star or the cheerleader in the movies. It happens. No, oh, yeah, but I mean, so it's also not happen, there's by the way, time got... travel in movies. And like, <laughs> have you seen most movies or superhero movies these days? And I haven't seen anybody up in here to, you know, help us with the global pandemic. So no. I think maybe the Avengers aren't real. Maybe not. Yeah, it's 2020 that finally convinced way. me. Yeah, but, it might not yes. be. I've got, I've got lots of thoughts about Theo, which we can get into in a minute. But before we do that, I do want to talk about the Phillies sort of plan 
<clears throat> in That's general. That's nice that you think they have a plan. <laughs> no, no, I don't think they have a plan. But I think yeah. that that whole thing of wanting somebody with a proven track record and uh, somebody with you know a name recognition cachet, whatever whatever they want to call it, is the stupidest idea for for getting a GM. It's literally the dumbest idea because it's very very simple. If somebody has a proven track record of winning and they're available. That means that either they're ancient, which is your best bet, or they got fired because their proven track record was no good anymore. Mm-hmm. They yep. have a proven track record of losing more recently than they have a proven track record of winning. That's just how it works. Yes. You can't you can't hire a GM unless it's Theo, which you're not getting. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, it's not going to happen. So that is the dumbest thing what you need to do is decide what kind of organization you are and that's why to me like a guy like jj whether they hire i want to hire a guy like that or not i don't know but if you go into an organizational you know planning meeting and say okay here's the kind of organization we want to be we want to develop players we want to scout we want to draft better we want uh to build from the ground up we want to you know uh uh you know Co later on, and we'll we'll supplement our our team with free agency. But what we want to do is build uh, a team that's here to last, like the you know the way Theo did with the Cubs, the way that uh, you know the Dodgers have for the most part done, even though they've they've added some Mookie you know Mookie Betts uh, people later. Uh, the Rays, if if that's the idea, then a guy like JJ Piccolo is great. If your idea is like no, what we want to do is we want to be. You know, we want to take analytics to the very next level. We want to, we we want a super smart, you know, uh, math uh, and business person that's that's going to come in and and really just reinvent the way the game is played. All right, then go after somebody like that. That's what you need to be thinking about. Proven track record of winning. There, there's a third element to proven track record of winning that makes it so dumb, which is a proven track record meant they won. A long time ago. Mm-hmm. The game is not the same as it was when the Atlanta Braves were winning. You don't want to hire John Sherholtz. He has a proven track record of winning, but you don't want to hire John Sherholtz now. And that's and that's a guy who never went through the losing part of it for the most part. Uh I it's I I I'm you know, I feel for you as a Phillies fan, because I just I just feel like that organization has so many things that are going for it obviously they have an ace and they've got you know Bryce Harper and they've got you know various uh pieces that that feel like uh you know if you could just build around them you would you would have some real success but I I don't that team just doesn't feel like they have any idea where they're going yes and I mean to be honest with you I don't know that I've ever felt more dismal as a Phillies yeah. fan, mm-hmm. and it it could be because you know there were there were certainly some some dark times for the Phillies when I wasn't paying as much attention to baseball as I am now. I was not writing about baseball. I wasn't on you know your podcast and the MLB <laughs> Network and so on. And so like it's like I can't. I'm not allowed to look away from how incredibly depressing it is that they are not 
able to develop talent. Right. And, you know, so when you were saying those two kinds, I was like, well, what team doesn't say, yes, we want to be better at drafting and development? And that right. is the thing that the Phillies have mostly failed at. Of course, we have exceptions like my beloved Aaron Nola. But for yes. the most part, like, yeah, they have they have failed at that thing. And that's why we're supposed to be at this point in a rebuild where the Phillies have a successful team and yet they have not had a winning percentage above 500 since 2011. Like it's been a very long time. And it's particularly dismal thinking that it's hard to imagine that the team will be better next year than it was this year, honestly. And it's sort of hard to imagine that they re-sign JT Realmuto with the right. like uh, utterly directionless nature of everything in the organization right now. But it's also hard to imagine like what will befall the Delaware Valley if they do not re-sign JT Realmuto. <laughs> I can only think it's like it will just be in flames. I think yeah. that that's really <laughs> the only outcome. It's like JT Realmuto or just, you know, really putting the the forest fires of of the Pacific Northwest just, you know, overshadowing now, them completely. Now, With- on that line, how how much do you believe that the the like diff- desperate fear of losing JT Real Muto is related to him being so awesome and irreplaceable and how much of it is the fact that they gave up Sisto Sanchez to get him? I think it's both both right yeah it's absolutely both and 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 also Jorge Alfaro you know who who at least you would have another few years of control of like a good catcher not a great catcher but they have nothing to back him up in the organization (laughs) right and I feel incredibly insulted when when people are just like oh well you know JT is going to the Mets and so maybe the Yankees can trade Gary Sanchez to the Phillies and I'm like no I don't want him I'll take Andrew Knapp over Gary Sanchez like don't be like and this will be a great trade for the Phillies don't give me your trash (laughs) just you know like too many passed balls no way I mean yes like I it's almost like I'd rather just be be, them be like oh it's just gonna be Andrew Knapp and Raphael Marchand than like give something up for Gary Sanchez that's not like a few catch-up packets or something like that has there been a greater fall than the fall of Gary Sanchez I we we did actually talk about that also on on the podcast I I feel like there's been nothing but falls like that on the Phillies honestly (laughs) <laughs> but that's but this is a significant. I mean, he was, you know, of course he comes up and he hit a thousand home runs like right away, and 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 you know then you know you basically mean like Reese just Hoskins, a little bit like Reese Hoskins, but Reese Hoskins even Reese Hoskins hasn't fallen as much as Gary Sanchez, I would say. I mean, Gary I mean, Sanchez. I would like to believe that because I love Reese Hoskins, but yeah. Well, the injury is not helping matters, but. I mean, Gary Sanchez hit 147, and he can't catch. That's that's a that's a significant fall. That is, you know, and he's gonna, you know, he's not inexpensive either. So it's it's, yeah, Gary Sanchez. Anyway, I feel bad for your Phillies. I I, I think that that what they should do. I I think. Well, let me ask you this: Do you care? Do you think it matters at all? I mean, even one percent. If the person who would get hired for the Phillies grew up in the area and be, and was a huge Phillies fan and is devoted to the Phillies, 
Does that matter to you even a little bit or no? I think it would be nice, but I don't feel like I just want somebody who's going to do a good job. Of course, of course. And, and I mean, I do think that it is, it's a particular market and it's a particular fan base. And I well, don't know that I I'm necessarily representative of that fan base. <laughs> well, but, so, but you are. and You, you understand. Look, you've been I, a Phillies fan all your life. You, yes. you understand what that market feels like. That's, again, I'm not going to, you know, I've, I've made my case for JJ, but... I don't know. I, it just feels to me like th- that is a that's a raw market. You know, obviously Phillies fans are unlike any other fans. Philadelphia fans are unlike any other fans. I don't know. I, it would just be a nice little bonus to me if you had somebody who was the GM who sort of was one of you. You know, understood. I felt that way with the Browns. I really did. It, it hasn't worked out that way necessarily, but I, I wouldn't mind. I want somebody in the Browns organization who grew up a Browns fan and understands what what it's been like and 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 sort of has a, a a perspective of what the town needs and looks for and all that. I I just feel like if I was the way I tend to see owners making these hires is the way that they hire CEOs and they're looking at your resume and they're looking at your education and they're looking at your you know who you've who you've learned from, who you've been under and all that's important, and I'm not trying to downplay any of that stuff. I mean, I I would feel great about having a super smart, you know, Ivy League educated guy as my GM if that person was the right person. If it's Kim Ng, I, that's, I, feel, I feel really good about that. But uh, some of these others are, like, kind of terrible, and I don't... You know, I think they're just hired because they have, of the Ivy League education, and they're just hired because you can sort of, if you squint a little bit, sort of see a little, a little, uh, you know, Andrew uh, in him or or a little Theo in him or something. And I just don't think that's the way you hire. I think you interview and you kind of get a fit for what your organization is. And I, I, I think a lot of teams have made a lot of mistakes this way. You know, mm-hmm. I really do. Yeah, well, I think obviously the advantage is if you had somebody who had grown up in the area or who had been a Phillies fan for any period of their life, mm-hmm. then then the fans would certainly have a sense of like, oh, this person really wants to win. Right. They really want to bring honor back to Philadelphia, um, for we have had none for some time now. <laughs> but I think that some of the issue is, and this is honestly part of my heartbreak, the Phillies' offense was actually great this yeah. past year. Right. There were, in a 60-game sample, there were 15 games that they led that they lost. That is one quarter of the games because their bullpen was so completely atrocious. Legendary. Legendarily, record-settingly terrible. Yeah. So the Phillies are sort of like, oh, that, well, that didn't work. And it's like, no, actually, a lot of what was a lot of the money that was put into the organization in terms of Bryce Harper and in terms of JT Wilmuto and in terms of Didi Gregorius on a one-year deal was actually very successful. But you just, you know, a baseball team is like a three-legged stool. You can't not have one of the legs of the stool and expect to be able to sit on the stool. Right. You can't. You need all three legs of the stool. And the the issue, like, even though 
you know, Mr. and Mrs. Klontak named their child Stupid Matt. Like, the <laughs> issue is that John Middleton wouldn't go over the luxury tax, not right. a, even a little bit, in order to get a bullpen to support the entire rest of the money that he'd poured into the organization, which isn't even smart to me. There were a couple of years where we felt like John Middleton, you know, he's on the fan side. He also wants to get Bryce Harper and he wants to, you know, bring honor back to the Philadelphia Phillies. And now I'm like, oh, but but not really. You know, actually, maybe he just wanted to sell tickets. But if it is going to cost him a certain amount of money to make the team even just a little bit better, he's not willing to do that. And that was frankly devastating to see that that was what was going to happen in the offseason and then to watch it play out this season and then to not really see even if they bring somebody else in if John Middleton is still like well yeah but I'm not going over the luxury tax if I don't think that this team can really compete like it's just going to be the same problem we might just see it kind of shuffled around we're like oh well now they spent some money on the bullpen but now we don't have JT Romito and DD Gregorius and so the offense isn't clicking anymore and I mean all of that just comes back to poor drafting and development there's not enough in the Philly system exactly right now right. Exactly and I mean right. this is a this is a point where I actually thought you were maybe going to go in terms of proven track record of winning, lots of times a general manager is winning in certain years off of the fruits of somebody else's no drafting and development. It. No question. You know? So whoever's going to come in as the Phillies general manager has a very difficult time because the like Phillies drafting has just been awful and development has like been even worse so yeah it's a pretty dire situation that they're facing and that's just why I'm like well yeah but who's who is gonna who's gonna really want this job I mean never mind the fact that they kind of staggered the contracts of their president of baseball operations and general manager so they weren't going up at the same time so that's why technically they're looking for both they're looking for a president of baseball operations and then they're going to look for a general manager but they've right. just been so slow about it it's yeah it's been weird it's been weird and you're right look the bullpen the bullpen thing is is it's depth in your system it's really what it is it's about having it's about having uh pitching depth in your system it's about having young guys you can't i'm not saying it's impossible to piece together a bullpen with money and 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 you know you you can try but realistically it's about your you know, fifth best pitching prospect uh, suddenly, you know, being amazing when you only pitch him one inning, you know? And I mean, it's, it's, it really is about putting some depth together. All right. I want to talk about Theo for a minute. I wrote a piece last week for the athletic, uh, by the way, starting Friday. Did, do you know what, you know, the deal that the athletic has starting Friday? I, I mean, t is how much, how much is it for the athletic? Uh, this is, it's Black Friday. So special deal, dollar a month. How about that? A dollar a month. That's crazy. Why? That's, it's, it's wild. That's, it's wild. That's like, you know, 12 minutes in the dryer. That's, you're right. That's, ex, that's exactly right. Think about what that is a day. It's yeah. three cents a day. Three cents a day. Well, four. Three, between three and four I'm, cents I'm a day. I'm not super great at math. <laughs> Depending on, on how you feel about February. Three to four <laughs> cents a day. Come on. A I mean, dollar for, a month? 
We're all pretty clearly anti-February, so yes. <laughs> I'm actually very pro-February. February is great, but it, it's actually, it's a terrible month, but uh, it's it's so much better than March. It doesn't claim to be anything. It's like, hey, I'm only 28 days. That's it. Just, you, you can make it. You can get through February. That's what February says to you. Every year, February 1st comes around, you're like, oh, the weather's terrible. It's so dark. It's this. And February's like, just 28 days. Don't worry. We'll I appreciate you. that you can make a case for anything. <laughs> Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of the 75th anniversary season. That's game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond. From iconic plays in arenas to the impact players have in communities, that's the NBA, that's game. It's like game five of the NBA Finals where I was lucky enough to be there. Bucks, Suns, in Milwaukee. I'm sitting kitty corner from Giannis Antetokounmpo as he rises up for that incredible alley-oop. Drew Holiday having stolen the ball from Devin Booker on the other side, found Giannis in transition. Incredible stuff. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game. Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of its 75th anniversary season. That's Game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond, from iconic plays and arenas to the impact players have in the community. That's the NBA. That's Game. Like in the NBA Finals when the Bucks had their backs against the wall, Drew Holiday steals the ball, pushes the break, alley hoop to Giannis for an iconic slam, seals Game 5, and the eventual title. That's the NBA. That's Game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game. I wrote a piece about Theo Epstein in The Athletic uh, last week where I made the argument that I think he should be the czar of baseball. Uh, I did not put him as the commissioner of baseball because I don't really see how that happens. But I think that the commissioner uh, would be wise to uh, have Theo and and get out of his way. Not I don't want him over Theo. But have Theo be the person that brings baseball forward into the, into the you know, make the game, be in charge of what's happening on the field to bring the game back. Because I because I think we all know that there are issues with the game and not enough balls in play and speed has been, you know, really brought back down and, and on and on and on. And I think Theo, because I've spent quite a bit of time uh, talking with him about this, I know this is on his mind all the time. He thinks about this all the time. He's He's got lots of plans. Uh, ideas uh, for how the game can can uh, you know how you can make little adjustments and little rule changes and little sort of motivations and all of this in order to to you know not change the game so that it does you know we're not talking about some sort of you know major dramatic okay now it's four balls and four strikes or something but you know just just you know ways to really improve the game so I made this argument. I've done quite a bit of like uh, people have asked me to come on radio to talk about it as if I as if Theo like told me to write that piece, by the way, like I have some sort of insight into Theo's life or whatever. But they keep asking me about. Um, do they call you Joey? <laughs> Joey, what do you think of Theo? What do you think Theo's thinking about what you wrote? Uh, he probably didn't read it. Well, but what do you think Theo thinks about? So 
I don't know what Theo thinks, obviously, but here's what I believe. And I and I will come on this podcast and say I'm wrong if I'm wrong. He ain't going to be a GM again. I, I, I am so sick of Mets fans and Phillies fans and, and, and Cleveland fans and other teams fans. Why would he be a GM again? Why would he do that? Like, like he's done it. Like this is it. I mean, this if ever there's been a time to drop a microphone, this is it. He brought the Boston Red Sox to their first world, his hometown team, the team he grew up loving. He took them to the World Series for the first time in more than 80 years. Then he left, went to the Cubs, and took them to their first World Series win in more than a hundred years. Yeah. Yeah, it's I mean, true that there's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere. nowhere everything else is a step down. You know, obviously there are plenty of teams with with droughts. Uh I mean Yeah, but not like those. Not right? not like those. But yes, there is always a team with the longest drought, you know. Of I I would love to see Cleveland win. Of course. But not as much as me. Uh, not as much as you, that is probably <laughs> fair. Yes. Um but yeah, anything else that he does is going to be so obviously, I mean, any other general manager job that he takes or any other president of baseball operations right. job that he takes is is going to be, um, you know, sort of like having a kind of a disappointing dessert exactly after you've right. had really two excellent courses. Well, and I think it speaks to something that I believe I do know about Theo. You know, having said, I know very little about him. But, I mean, I've spent enough time with him, read enough about him, obviously. I, he doesn't like repeating things. He doesn't like going backwards. I mean, this has been his whole life. I mean, he wanted to prove he could do it again after after Boston. He wanted to prove he could do it again, especially because it ended kind of in an ugly way in Boston. Kind of worse certainly in Boston than in Chicago, but it's not ending that great in Chicago it's either. Not, yeah, I mean, it's not you so know, great. That 2020 so great. Cubs team was like just... Not, not yeah, the best. The and, basket and, of mysteries. Yeah, and, and and seemingly going in the wrong direction. <clears throat> but, but regardless of that, he left that Boston team and, I mean, what bigger, better challenge is there in baseball than taking the Chicago Cubs to the first World Series since 1908, right? So... Mm -hmm. Or World Series win in 1908, and you know he was he was in a different role. He wasn't exactly GM, uh, even though you know obviously you know he and Jed Hoyer I'm sure did all the decision making together. But still, I mean, he was a different a different job, a different place, a different situation, a different owner, and and uh, you know arguably bigger challenge than Boston. Uh, as much as as much as it was amazing that he brought the Red Sox, you know to to win a World Series, that team had been very, very good for a long time, and and they just hadn't won the final piece. You know, the Cubs, meanwhile, had been, you know, they hadn't been in a World Series since 1946. So, so a much different situation. There's no challenge left like that in baseball. None. I don't think he wants to go into football or basketball or or Premier League soccer like uh, like Billy Bean does. I don't think any of that stuff interests him. You know, people talk about politics and, you know, he has made it pretty clear that he doesn't see that as being a fit for his family, which I think he's 100 percent right. So that to me is why I'm like, well, what what's next for him? And I I really do think that bringing the game that he loves mm -hmm. forward 
that makes sense to me. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I might not even come close. You might not even be thinking about it. But it feels like that's something that makes sense. Yeah, there's. it's like there's no greater task for him in baseball except for baseball. You know, it sort of feels like the meta game. He's stopped playing just kind of like the normal video game and he's right. like figuring out, he's got to figure out how to game the meta game of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. And I, I will I will say this as as a person who is a Phillies fan, I would gladly sacrifice having Theo Epstein for the Phillies. I mean, particularly because it's not going to happen anyway. But I would <laughs> gladly sacrifice having Theo Epstein for the Phillies in order to have Theo Epstein for the game of baseball. But like... The only thing that this requires is the creation of the baseball czar position right. that you have talked about before, which obviously the game needs, because the baseball commissioner's job is not actually really to take care of baseball. It's just to take care of the owners. It's like a side it's like a side gig for the commissioner. Look, I was on one call on one uh, radio show, and they were like, well, he'd never do that. Why would he give away the only fun part of his job, which is sort of trying to improve the game, and and hire somebody who's more popular than him uh, so that basically everybody, you know, likes him and hates the commissioner. And I couldn't argue with that. I, I, I fully understand. But my feeling is if your job as the commissioner of baseball is to take the game into the next decade and the next, you know, 50 years – um, I I don't think he can do it. I I, I mean, there's he has, he's given no indication that he can do it, and I think you'd want to hire your best people, your best opportunity to make the game, you know, fit into today's world in a better way to to try to get younger people more involved in the game. Uh, on and on and on. I mean. You'd have to it'd have to be a little bit selfless, which you know hasn't been necessarily the the way things have gone in baseball. But but mm-hmm. it it makes sense to me. It really does. Yeah. Well, I think perhaps the answer would be for it to even look to the public like this person was underneath in terms of rank the baseball commissioner. That the baseball commissioner was like, I am going to bring on a baseball czar whose job is to only think about these things because right. I am thinking about everything. So like that is also part of my purview to not kind of like split the the responsibilities, but just to say this person will only be thinking about this thing. You know, obviously we have seen that the appointment of czars of various things does not necessarily lead to getting that thing done, but it would be a positive step. And I do believe it, that- It didn't work for Russia. <laughs> yes, that is fair. Yes. Um, I guess I met, was thinking more yes, recent I, I know, history I in this country. Mean, but I, but I, I had that joke in my mind. So it was, was great. No, I'm glad you made it. <laughs> no, you're not. Yes, no, you're not. yes I you, am you always glad. I'm you glad you make all the that. jokes. Uh, yeah. But I think that, you know, clearly Theo Epstein is the person to do it. I think it'd be great. I really do. I look, and I think beyond whether it's Theo Epstein or not, I think baseball needs to needs to think very hard about doing something like this. Uh, I think that, you know, whether if you want to put together a panel or, or a board or something, I mean, that that's a much less likely way of getting things done. But, you know, do what you have to do. I think the game needs 
I think you need to look at the game from top to bottom. I really do. And and again, you know, we're baseball fans. We're not going to accept these ungainly, awkward uh, rules changes forever, right? I mean, we're not going to be like, you know, you can't, you're not going to be able to change the game by making it seven innings. People are not going to, you know, they're already doing that, obviously, with the double headers. But, but that's, the, the game needs elegant, you know, thoughts. And, and, you know, I mean, point blank, I, I don't believe this commissioner is capable of that. That's not where his mind is. I mean, he's a, he's a labor lawyer. I mean, this is, you know, this is his, his job needs to be to how to, how to bring labor peace to, you know, to the game, how to get the owners together to, to, to move the game forward financially. That's, that's a big enough job. I, I think somebody else really needs to be, running uh you know the idea of how to make the game better as we go forward yeah does this sound familiar you've got one device that lets you catch the game live another that lets you stream your favorite shows you're watching sports highlights on your phone and you've got your neighbor's best friends login (laughs) for the good stuff well i want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your tv together it's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part? There's no annual contract. Yes, no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Ready to take a trip? Hear about all the must-see places with Thrillist's new series, Get Out of Town. Brought to you by the City Advantage Platinum Select Card. Go from the East Coast to the West and everywhere in between. Like the best spot to grab a drink on the San Antonio Riverwalk. There's a million reasons to get out of town. The only hard part is choosing where to go first. Listen to Get Out of Town with Thrillist everywhere you get podcasts. Brought to you by the City Advantage Platinum Select Card. All right, last bit. Uh, free agency, baseball. I mean, look, the, you're in New York. I know that that you, because of Eric, uh, your, your husband, Eric, you guys have like a soft spot for the Mets, right? Well, he's a Mets fan. He's right. He doesn't have a soft spot for the Mets. Does he have a soft spot for the Phillies? Yes, yes. Okay, so you have a soft spot for the Mets. I'm supposed has- to, yes. That is, yeah. that's the But, you know, but I've talked to him about this. I mean, he's a Mets fan, but he's not a Mets fan the way you're a Phillies fan. I think that that's fair. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He was not. He was not born a Mets fan. He chose to be a Mets fan. Uh, yes. Anyway, the Mets have have brought in Steve Cohen as their new owner, and Steve Cohen is basically already won over all of New York with it's his many. It's yeah. It's a, it's it's absurd. Uh, everybody in New York is going crazy because Steve Cohen basically every day is like, I'm going to spend as much money as I have to spend and and I'm going to go to you, the Mets fans, and ask you for advice on Twitter. And I'm going to, I mean, he's, it's like literally the dream, you know, I think for, for Mets fans. And, you know, regardless, regardless of how Steve Cohen made his money or, or any of the financial sort of chicanery that he's been involved with, anyway, nobody cares, right? It's like he's, he's the owner uh, of the Mets who is sort of the ultimate dream owner, uh, at least so far. Um, so, all right. So I'm sure you and Eric have discussed this one. 
does this lead to the Mets becoming like a, a powerhouse? And two, what are you what are you looking for this offseason? Obviously, you're looking at JT Real Muto, but what are you looking this offseason? Uh, what interests you with free agency so far? In in this hypothetical, I'm supposed to be a Mets fan. <laughs> No, no. I, I want you to have the Mets conversation first. I should have split it up into two parts. First, how excited should you be if you're a Mets fan? So now you pretend to be a Mets fan for Eric. And two, in general, who interests you out there in free agency? Because there are some some very – I mean, like, are you interested in where Trevor Bauer is going? Are you interested in where George Springer is going? Like, what, what are you looking at this offseason? So two-part question. Great. Yeah, so obviously Mets fans should be very excited. And I think that that's part of what's very hard about being a Phillies fan right now is, you know, like the Marlins just got the first female general manager and like ding dong, the witch is dead for the Mets. And now they have Steve Cohen, who's going to buy the entire universe. And like the Nationals just won the World Series last year. And the Braves now have like, I don't know, one of the top five rotations in baseball now that they've signed Charlie Morton. And I have always had a weird semi-rational love of Drew Smiley so like that also really hurts anyway (laughs) and then there's the Phillies you know so that's part of also what makes it hard but for me like I I am really hopeful that the Mets don't sign JT Real Muto so that the (laughs) Phillies can have JT Real Muto and you know the Delaware Valley can remain unburned and particularly because I feel like the Mets have an obvious need at center field and they have obvious need for uh, for starting pitchers more sure. so than they do really anything else. So I'm like, Steve Cohen, please buy George Springer and Trevor Bauer for the Mets and bring wow. great success to the New York Metropolitans. And please just let us have GT Real Muto just so that so we don't feel so willing, bad about ourselves. You're willing to concede... Uh, Trevor Bauer and George Springer to the Mets, making the Mets really catapult way above the Phillies at that point. I mean, uh, I sort as- of think they're probably going to catapult way above the Phillies anyway. So, like, I've just loved JT Realmuto <laughs> since 2016, and I just, I really love him. And I just, like, please let me have this one nice thing. I mean, also, I love Aaron Nola, but yeah, that's that's how I feel. <laughs> what are you going to do if Aaron Nola ever leaves the Phillies? What 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 will you do? I'm sorry. There's just dead silence. This well, why is, would this you do is, that to I'm me, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You don't even after, think about after it. After I've enumerated all of the ways <laughs> in which I have never been so devastated to be a Phillies fan, like the rebuild was better. You know, Jeff Francoeur pitching in extra innings was better than this. And you would remind me that, like, one day we all must die. <laughs> You know that's what they they used to do in 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 ancient uh, in ancient Rome, right? Where they would have the person following the uh, the warrior saying, "All men are mortal," right behind there. So you know, just just a reminder, yeah, just a little yeah, reminder. Just look, you Aaron Nola will be will be on the Phillies next year. So you know, let's take it one year at a time. Let's yeah. if there's anything 2020 should have taught us, it is let's take this one year at a time and let's not worry too much. But you know. Look, I, here's the thing. I he can spend as you know. I know he can spend a lot of money. I I don't know how many of these free agents he can really get. You know, I mean, it's like it's it's one thing to say you're going to go ahead and and it's nice to have like the Dodgers probably out of the game. I don't think the Dodgers uh, necessarily 
are are especially since they're you know they seem so focused on on uh, you know their own situation. I don't think that they're going to be out there in free agency at all. Uh, so maybe that give, opens it up. But I mean, it still feels like I don't know if you can just consistently outbid people for every player out there. I mean, no I matter how like- much money Steve Cohen has. In 2020, though, he maybe can, you know, and I'm I'm not saying realistically that I think that he will that he will get both Trevor Bauer and George Springer, but I, like, it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility for no, me. Or, no. or I mean, because really they have a, a great need at center field, and it's true. Like, is George Springer going to be a center fielder long term? I don't know, but maybe you know. Obviously, yeah. I was about to say maybe they've got somebody coming up in the organization, but it's the Mets, so they don't. But like. <laughs> Maybe they're, I mean, same for the Phillies and they don't even have anything to show for it. Maybe he just, you know, they uh, they have Marcus Stroman um, coming back on uh, the, you know, he accepted the qualifying offer. Maybe right. it's not Trevor Bauer. You know, maybe they go get a Masahiro Tanaka or they get Jake Odorizzi or, you know, somebody. It feels like they're going to make a splashy signing, or at least one. I feel sure. like they That's have what... to make one. And I, well, I don't know if Trevor Bauer isn't, you know, obviously since he like has such an amazing spin right now and just won the Cy Young, if he doesn't feel kind of splashier. And I don't know. There's there's part of, uh, I obviously, I obviously the the web of our life is a mingled yarn is something that absolutely applies to Trevor Bauer. But I'm not about to throw out the good parts of Trevor Bauer with the bad necessarily. You know, so many people are like, well, but I wouldn't want him on this team because I'm like, but he's, a, you know, he's a good pitcher. So like, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 think, I think that's sort of, you know, and, and what makes him uh, annoying and difficult isn't necessarily like, you know, I mean, there's no, it's, we, we just saw, you know, that, that, uh, Randy Rosarena, which is this heartbreaking, like oh, he's involved so in like a domestic, yeah, domestic violence situation over there with the weird, nobody's really quite figured it out. I mean, that's not the case with Trevor Bauer. We're not talking about criminal things. We're just talking about a guy who likes to troll people on Twitter. You know, I mean, it's like basically his, 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 his big, you know, issue. So, yeah, it, the yeah. way that he seems to like target women in particular is something that has not endeared him to me. <laughs> no, no, I don't think it should. In, I, in look, his I, in his Twitter trolling, and I. But he, that's there's no question. I, and and I. But I'm not, not setting up an equivalency for sure. <laughs> well, I don't think there's an equivalency, and also he will. He sort of. I mean, I mean, I don't know. He trolls everybody. He just feels like he's kind of a loathsome troll to everybody. I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't particularly uh, target women. Uh, he, he very well might. Um, but he's just kind of a jerk. It, you <laughs> know, like, on the just... other hand, I actually really like his vlog. <laughs> well, sure you do. I, yeah, I mean, it's interesting Look, to me. he's a smart I'm, guy. I'm like, Look he at, really is a smart guy. It's really interesting to me to be like, oh, wow, th- this is what a, the process is. On a day that you're going to pitch, and this is what you're pro- like. That is fascinating to me, and I, I just, I accept this at the same time that I'm like, I really wish you weren't a misogynist Twitter troll. <laughs> right, right. It was just sort of a misogynist plus other Twitter troll type. You know, <laughs> just like, like he's like he's multifaceted as a Twitter troll, which you have yep. to admire. The web of our uh, life is a mingled yarn. Yeah, but he's you know he's also he's like a really smart guy, and like it's not like. It's not, it's, it's, it's fairly often that he will, 
tweet something, not as a troll, but tweet something that you just kind of go, yeah, you know what? That's right. Actually, that guy, like that kind of makes sense. And then he'll tweet something. You'd be like, eh, he's the worst. He's yep. the absolute no, worst. You know? So happens. there's your, there's your mingled yarn right there. But so let's say, that's what I'm saying. So can the Mets really sign Trevor Bauer and George Springer and JT Real Muto? You know I mean? That just feels like a lot. I mean, I don't know. Obviously, they can't sign all three of them, so they should just really just let JT Real Muto go, and they should just focus on Trevor Bauer and George Springer. I don't. That doesn't feel like you did the math on that. That doesn't feel like that. Uh, like that's certain. I, I don't. I don't know that you know that for it, sure. It just. It feels to me like those are their two most obvious needs: the starting pitcher and center field. And so right, they should right, just. That's right. absolutely what the Mets should go for. I mean, there has been some news about them getting Marcelo Zuna, which I'm just like, well, that. That doesn't make any sense. Um, so obviously, I, I, like JT Romita would out. make more sense than that. And I mean, I don't know. Even DJ LeMahieu would make more sense than that. But I can't figure out the the Marcelo Zuna thing. I mean, he was he obviously it was only sixty games, but he was so good this year. And after being so bleh in St. Louis, and and uh, I can't figure him out can't figure him out well it's just like his defense isn't very good and well sort yeah of like, his defense wasn't good anyway but i'm saying he wasn't hitting either yes and now yes. he's now you know last year he crushed the ball so very strange very yeah. very strange all right you know what i don't want to be in the nl east as a phillies fan i'm sorry it, it's it's really not looking that great it's for it's brutal it's yeah, brutal yeah. is what it is yeah it's the, been real real hard to like get into the off season <laughs> All right, time for one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. We talk about sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael, no Diet Coke for Joe. The podcast was. Do you have something for us? I do, as a matter of fact. Um, Yes. Which is that my mom has gotten a puppy. Oh. Yes. And I got to meet this puppy when I went to Philly for a little while to do canvassing there, like the week before the election. Sure. And I, you know, I also, I hadn't seen my mom since like February. And I thought, who knows what we'll be heading into in terms of increasing COVID numbers. So like, I should just take this opportunity now. And it was very nice because I also got to just be like taken care of by my mom for a little while (laughs) when I was like out canvassing, which is hard. Anyway, the point of the story is that, that my mom has a puppy and she is either a Maltese or a Shih Tzu. We're not totally sure because she is a rescue, Um, but she is all black and her name is Pansy. And when I first met her, I was shocked at how docile she was. Like she just immediately laid on my chest in a way that like my dog that I've had for five years will not do. 
And when you pick her up, she kind of spreads her little front legs out as if what she wants to do is give you a hug. And then she does. She sort of lays on your chest with her front legs kind of sprawled out uh, perpendicularly so that it is like she's giving you a hug. This is like a little six pound dog, if you can imagine. However, she also then has like moments of frenzy where she bites my mom. <laughs> and my mom in these instances when when Pansy will uh, stop at nothing except for to just like actually draw blood at my mom's heels. My mom would say to Pansy, are you full of beans? Which I love. I don't know if we've talked about on the podcast before, like how much I love sort of delightful <laughs> mid-century phrases. Like, what's the big idea? I love sure, these things. Like, sure. I feel like I'm an amateur collector of delightful mid-century <laughs> phrases. So it's like, mom, full of beans. So yeah, it just it felt like a real sort of a Jimmy Stewart type of thing to say, and I really loved it. And so after you know spending a week there, I don't even remember particularly why but I was like you know it's really like this dog has two personalities Dr. Pansy and Mr. Beans and so that's really the thing that I just want to share is that my mom has a puppy but the puppy has like an incredibly bifurcated personality like sometimes she is way more docile than my like actually quite sweet dog and sometimes she's so ferocious and you can't get her to stop biting things and then she's Mr. Beans. Um, I love this. It's basically a Trevor Bauer dog, is what you're saying, which is delightful. Yes, but I'd and rather call her Dr. Pansy and no, Mr. Bean than Trevor yeah, no, Bauer dog. No, 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 no. <laughs> but that's, that's, that is delightful. By the way, are, when you go to games with your love of mid-century uh, uh, lingo, will you ever, in the middle of the game, just go, hip, hip, hooray? Yes. <laughs> Well, of course you do. Yes, yes. And then I sing um, for He's a Jolly Good Fellow. Yeah, absolutely. Which absolutely. nobody can deny. Why can't you get, can you get people in your section to, to like to spot you the hip hip and then you just do the hooray part? Um, I could probably get Eric to do it, <laughs> but not in my section. People in my section are usually like amused by me but they don't tend to join in in my cheers oh see that's not right i mean it's also true that like a lot of the games that uh, in uh, the world when we can go see baseball games which feel so distant to me now like most of the games that i go to are at city field and so sometimes i'm you know there to represent the enemy sure, uh, in which true. case people just kind of like look askance at me um, but they do that even, you know, when we go to Citizens Bank Park, but that's because I'm shouting things like, don't be a hero, just do anything that will positively affect your weighted on base average. <laughs> Which is obviously the the only cheer that matters. Yeah. Um, other than hip hip hooray. I'm other just than saying, hip, hip, hooray. Yeah. Give, it a, give it a chance. Give it a chance with the section. I think you bring people in, I think that would be, that would be, and if you brought like one of those, I guess, I don't, I, I don't know if they'd let you bring, one of those like megaphone, you know, like little tubes you know like one of those things mm -hmm. that would be so great yeah i mean there were times when i when when eric and i would go to mets games with other friends and we would try we would at least have our own little you know four or five people to do cheers with in the hopes that other people would join in i mean this was like way way back in the day but yeah. you know we would have a call and response um Show me what a cesspitus looks like. This is what a cesspitus looks like. <laughs> okay, I like that. I yeah. like that. Still not yeah, a hip, hip, like hooray, you know. And what do we want? 
base runners, when do we want them now? We would do those. Okay. Um, yeah, which actually, I mean, when, when Bryce Harper was still with the Nationals and we were sitting very close, I remember sort of annoying him by doing a, a rousing, what do we want, strikeouts, when do we want them now? Uh, cheer, yes. Yeah, I, I can see him not, not loving that. He did not. He, he, he looked in, in our direction with not a smile. So. I see. That, I don't but think now he would I love smile you, generally. I love you forever. <laughs> I mean, All right. My one minutes. last meaningless thing uh, to end this meaningless thing is, um, you know, you can get the athletic. <laughs> you won't even believe the price. You won't even believe it. Wait, try me. A dollar What's, a month. A what? dollar. I know. I don't believe you. Joey Posnanski, you're telling me lies. <laughs> Since I wasted all everybody's time with my long one last meaningless thing to start this podcast, uh, I will give you a little sports thing, which is that indeed on Friday, uh, I don't know when this, I guess it was going to come out on Wednesday probably or, or, or Thursday, uh, Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Uh, on Friday, I am starting a, a uh, special series, uh, the 100 Greatest Players. Well, it's actually going to be more than 100. Don't don't tell my editor. Uh, but but 100 Greatest Players not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And and what I want to say about that is, uh, you know, obviously it's 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 going to be similar, but not the exact same as the 100 Greatest Players that I did. I'm, there's not going to be an essay on every player. There's going to be only full fledged essays on the top 30 players. The others are going to have like mini essays. It, it's a whole thing. Please go to the Athletic. For a dollar a month starting Friday, uh, and and you'll see it. But the point I wanted to make was um, when I first came up with the idea of doing the hundred greatest players not in the Hall of Fame, I thought a hundred is a lot. Like that's a lot of players, a hundred. So I figured by the time I got to like ninety to a hundred, I would be dealing with significantly you know players that clearly are not Hall of Famers but are, you know, still good players that you can talk about. You know, I was thinking we might, you know, we might get like, uh, you know, I don't want to name any names because I don't want to uh, ruin the surprise of who's on the list. But I did, I just did not expect there to be great players. But the, but the truth is that I could have done 200 players and they would all have been like really, really good players. I think the point I want to make is, there are a lot of amazing players who are not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And I'm mm. talking about none of these are, are current and, and none of these are – everybody on the list is eligible. Uh, everybody's been at least retired for five years. Everybody – so there's, so it's we're not talking about like guys like Ishiro or, or, or uh, Adrian Beltre or, or others that have not come up yet. We're not talking about any current players. If you took the 100 greatest players – uh, well, the hundred, I guess, worst players out of the Hall of Fame. If you took, if you replaced the hundred worst players, the hundred lowest ranked players in the Hall of Fame, and replaced them with the hundred greatest players not in the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame would not just be better; mm. it would be many, many times better. Like it would be like from a from a wins perspective it would be like a thousand wins better it's wow it's astonishing how many good players and of course just by doing this this project uh i was able to see this that it is it is you know we're talking about you know guys at the very end of the list where i'm choosing between you know multiple time mvps and 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 uh you know some dominant pitchers i mean it's 
it is staggering and it and it you know i i think it's good i guess i mean i I mean it's not good that i don't think the right people are in the hall of fame i guess it's good that you want to have a very high standard but man there are really you forget how great players who are not in the hall of fame really are i'm very excited for this series there you go yeah like perhaps even more excited about it than the than the baseball 100 really yes well that's interesting that's interesting yeah because i feel like it it might be that there are that there are players that i'm like i don't know as much about this player as i should i mean obviously there were players like that like oscar charleston that were in the baseball 100 yes so so, nevertheless i would say like there might be even more like surprises like oh wow yeah he was so good yeah why is he not in the hall of fame I think that I think that there is. I think what people will find. I hope. I think you. You're as as always so astute on your part, Ellen. Um, there are some surprises. I think there are people that you're like, oh, that guy. I never thought of that person as a Hall of Famer. And then you'll you know make the the small case, and people will be like, oh, well that 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 person was a lot better than I remembered. That that person was really good. But there are probably if you're a you know casual to mid casual baseball fan. There'll probably are 30 or 40 players on this list that you'll never have heard of or not know very much about uh, because I go, I do it from the very, I, you know, there are Negro Leagues players on here. There are 19th century players on here. So there's a bunch of those guys that you wouldn't know. Um, but I, what what was really so much fun putting together this list was, um, you know, just, you know, because look, I've, we've all seen the, Barry Bonds arguments and the Roger Clemens arguments and the Kurt Schilling arguments. And, you know, I, I now, by the way, whenever I say Kurt Schilling, I, I do the first always. Well, It's actually, it's his first name. Which is an even weirder first name than stupid uh, Mike Glendak. And yet more appropriate, right? (laughs) But you understand why he goes by his middle name, Kurt. (laughs) Although a lot of people called him, Ugh. they just did. That was just what they called him. Um, so yeah, no, there, there, there are a lot of uh, you know those people. So of course I write about them. They're on the list. You'll see them. They're, they're. You know, I. Oh, that's the other thing. I rank them in the order that I would vote them into the Hall of Fame. Oh, exciting! Yeah. So that people are like going, ah, oh, it's just going to be. It's not. There are surprises. There are surprises in this list because I, I'm, I'm not ranking them by how great they were necessarily. Of course, greatness is a big part of it, but ranking them how I would vote them into the Hall of Fame, the order that I would vote them in the Hall of Fame. So, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's exciting. I think it's fun. So, I this one last meaningless thing kind of turned into a promo, which I didn't want, but. I, I feel like the Joey story was enough, was meaningless enough. Don't you think? Yeah. You know, you've got to mix it up sometimes. You know, sometimes people <laughs> want their one less meaningless thing actually at the start. Sort of, you know, you were, you, it was almost like we were, we were making a club sandwich of meaninglessness. Oh, I like it. A yeah. cl- that's what this podcast is. A club sandwich of meaninglessness. I am here with all of your food metaphors <laughs> all the time. <laughs> well, Ellen, happy Thanksgiving to you. <sighs> and, uh. I will see you soon. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you so much, Joe. Happy Thanksgiving. Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of the 75th anniversary season. 
That's Game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond. From iconic plays in arenas to the impact players have in communities, that's the NBA, that's Game. It's like Game 5 of the NBA Finals where I was lucky enough to be there. Bucks Suns in Milwaukee. I'm sitting kitty corner from Giannis Antetokounmpo as he rises up for that incredible alley-oop. Drew Holiday having stolen the ball from Devin Booker on the other side, found Giannis in transition. Incredible stuff. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game.